There's no take two. There's no just a little more purple. Warts and all, you've downloaded the VO Radio Show. When you step into something like this, which is credited uh, and, and has enjoyed such great success, yes, you start to actually get associated with the program in a, in a particular style. Um, and you get known for that particular style, but that doesn't mean that you can't do other things as well. That is Robert Lee on the VO Radio Show. He's going to be our special guest this week as we talk Mythbusters and his illustrious career as a voice talent. My name is Andrew Peters. And my name is Robbo. That's yeah. no myth. No, it's not, it's not a myth. <laughs> Talking of myths, we should run through a few and uh, and see if we can dispel some myths. Yeah, you've come up with a few voiceover ones and I've come up with a few audio ones, so, um, so maybe we should swap. The voice for the voices. This is the VO Radio Show. Okay, well, there's one here that uh, it says... As an actor, will voiceovers be an easy way to supplement my income? <laughs> so easy. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can dispel that myth. Yeah, I think busted. that's pretty much it. No, busted. <laughs> no, busted. <laughs> I don't think we even need the myth busters to prove that one. Yeah. <laughs> what have no. you got? I've got, uh, well, there's one. Let's start with a simple one. It says room treatment is vital for quality sound. Yeah, I think it's true. Unless you think that you can make the world's greatest mix in a set of headphones. I don't think you can get away without um, room treatment. I, you know. And also recording, like as in the booth has to be mm-hmm. treated. Yes, definitely. Yeah, certainly. I mean, you know, once it's on tape or in the digital realm these days, yep. it's pretty hard to get rid of it. You know, there's some good noise reduction stuff out there, but nothing's perfect. No, and that's a good tip for um, home studio voice talent who are just mm. getting into building a home studio. That Absolutely. is key to get to control the noise in your booth. Yeah, I would almost suggest cutting back on equipment and spending a bit more money on your acoustic treatment. Well, that's not busted. That's definitely not busted. Not busted at all. All right, well, I've got one here. Yeah. Uh, Voice actors aren't real actors. Ooh. Ah. Would you have told Robin Williams that he's not a real actor? You wouldn't have done. No, not at all. No. So that is definitely busted. Bing bong. Yeah, gone. Yep. All right, here's, here's a good contentious one. This will get us a few emails, I reckon. A good preamp is more important than a good mic. Ooh, well, that's kind of your neck of the woods, but uh, if it was the other way around and you had a good microphone going into a really crappy preamp, yeah, what would that be like? Probably pretty crappy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, crappy gives crappy. So, you know. So I reckon you could probably almost get away with a half-decent microphone. I'm not saying like an absolute piece of rubbish. Yeah. Uh, going through a good preamp may actually work. Yeah. Jury's out in that one, I think. Yeah, I think so. I think, uh, I, look, you know, I'm probably probably leaning a bit more to the way you're leaning, but yeah, I think, I think I'd think i debunk that one. I think I'd go, you know, I think I'd say no. Bing bong. Okay, you're going to go busted. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to okay. go busted, I think. All right, well, how about this one then? If I, as a voice actor, if I get my big break, does that mean I have to audition less? Yeah, because, you know, since you've had your big break, you haven't had to go out and do anything to try and pick up new work, have you? It just oh. keeps falling into your lap. Absolutely. <laughs> just, you know, they come knocking at the door. Yeah, I was going to say, I know here in the studio too, you know, now that, you know, I've been doing this for 25 years and I've worked in a fair few places around town that, you know, the work just falls into my lap. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll say busted. Yeah, we'll say bing bong to that one too, I reckon. Yep, okay. What's your next one? High quality cables improve the sound. Ah, well, in the interview coming up next week with Harlan Hogan, we discussed that very point. And with his microphone, which is not a $4,000 Neumann, he actually sells high quality microphone cables to go with that microphone to get the best 
from it. Okay. But I'm going to take this word for word here and say, does it improve the sound though? It may take the, a great sound from a great microphone and put it into your box, whatever you're using, whether it be a, a DigiDesign box or a, you know, or whatever. Yep. Or does it just maintain that quality? Oh, I see. That was a trick question. Mm. I would say it may take up, improve it. It can maintain. No. Well, it can actually show the microphone for what it is. Yeah. But it's certainly a step up from a dodgy cable. I think on that one, we could safely say that a high quality cable is certainly a good investment. Let's be honest. Yep. So that one's not busted. No. Okay. And I've got one here. Hobby or career? If you perceive your voiceover career to be a hobby, do you believe that can be turned into a career? You know, I, I fell into the category where a few people said to me, mm, I kind of like your, you know, I really like your voice. Would you, would you record this guide track for me or would you do this or would you do that? And thought, hmm, you know, maybe I could make a bit of extra dough on the side doing voiceovers, but it certainly never proved to be the right thing to do. It's like, well... I know a guy who's got amazing long fingers, but it doesn't mean he's a concert pianist. Yeah, you know, or a hand you, model. Yeah, yeah. You've got to you've got to practice and learn the skill. That's right. Yeah, agreed. All, All right, right, I've got one last one, uh, yeah. and this one's probably a lay down misere, but it's a good one. You need better gear to make better recordings. Well, if you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's good. That was going to be exactly my point. I, I think you need better ears to make better recordings. I would suggest. Yeah. And that actually is another one that we could just chuck in the end anyway. The best talent you'll ever work with are hmm. the ones that listen. Yeah, I would agree. Absolutely. Yeah. The ones that can self-edit and all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. When you're not working from home, you're working from a studio. I like to watch the producer or the audio engineer, whoever's directing hmm. me. Yeah. Because sometimes the words that come out of their mouth are not necessarily what they really want you to do. And you can hmm. actually get a visual cue of what they yes. want to do. Yeah, absolutely. In a world. In a world where only the best voice will do. Realtimecasting.com. I got a I got a funny story that you've just reminded me of um, with that one is a few years ago, um, you'd know of Kev Goldsby. Yep. Um, and for those of people who aren't familiar with him, Kev Goldsby was the movie tone voice for many years. So back in the days when cinema was the only place you could go and you know catch the news and all that sort of stuff, Kev Goldsby was the man who did the voiceovers for that. And a couple of years ago, I was working in a studio with a, an advertising agency. The, uh, the creative was a young guy. He was probably about 21 or 22. And he walked in proudly announcing that, um, that he found the perfect voice for this script and that he discovered this voice. You know, he, he was so proud of himself and, <laughs> and in walked Kev Goldsby to do a, uh, a commercial that was set up to be a movie tone, <laughs> a movie tone <laughs> news piece. And Kev was in the studio and, and we were up to take five or six and this young guy was just going, nah, mate, it's, it's just not right. It doesn't sound like this guy. I had to turn the talk back off and I just turned around to the back of the room where he was sitting on the couch and said, you do realise Kev was the movie tone voice <laughs> and his face just turned red <laughs> and Kev had to turn around to the, the back wall because I'm sure he was smirking his head off and I opened the mic back up, the talk back mic up again and the kid went, actually, you know what, maybe we should just do one more to fix up those couple of words at the end, that'll do. <laughs> classic. Yes, absolute classic. So there you go. I don't, I've probably got nothing to do with what we were talking about but that story popped into my mind just as we were talking about that. <laughs> I think it's a beauty worth yes. sharing. Now talking about beauties, um, mm. our little beauty today is uh, Robert Lee, who uh, is an English Canadian Australian mm. uh, working on an American TV show, which is actually yes. really an Australian production. Mm. Uh, the show, which is seen around the world, is called Mythbusters, 
And Robert Lee is the voice of Mythbusters. And this is what he sounds like when he's in the Mythbusters chair. The voice for the voices. This is the VO Radio Show. I'm listening now, um, apart from the buzz that I've got at my end. Um, yours sounds really quite good. I, I'm going to guess now <laughs> that I reckon you've got a, and I don't think it's a Sennheiser, I reckon you've got a <laughs> a road going in there. <laughs> well, you're right, but which one? Um, it doesn't sound like a, it, it could be a shotgun, but I'm going to guess that it's not. I'm thinking it's a like an NT1A or something. Yeah, right? no, no, you're, you're wrong. It's, it is, it's a small shotgun, actually. It's not even a shot. It's an NT3. Oh, and, uh, okay. um, you know, it's, it's pretty darn good. Uh, I want the 416, of course, but, uh, you know. Well, the, I'll tell you, the NTG3, yeah. uh, it, you, you'd be pretty hard-pressed to pick it. No, I, I reckon they're, they, they, you know, I mean, Christ, we've worked with them long enough, the N416s. Yeah. But actually, the last couple of seasons of Mythbusters, actually, we've swapped over to use the 416 over the Neumann. Ah. And it's better, and I think it's it's okay, you know, because, you know, I can, you, you use it more for, you know, like a bit of mic technique you can use, you know, for yeah. close-up and pull-back and, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, I just find it a little more versatile to work with. Well, you can, it's basically bulletproof, isn't it? Let's face it. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Now, we're wasting all the good gear. <laughs> <laughs> this could have been the interview. Way, what's happening? <laughs> well, you're getting it down, aren't you? Yeah. You're recording. Absolutely. Don't you worry about that. Well, you can, you can edit it all together. I will. It'll be, it'll be a big job. So let's start at the end and work to the beginning. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. The VO Radio Show is produced in the studios of Voodoo Sound. Radio. TV. Find it all at voodoo-sound.com. I don't know whether you remember, but we did actually work together back in the late 80s. Uh, yeah, remind me, because... A triple you know, M. A triple M, of course, yes. I remember you in a suit. Now, whether you used to come in in a suit and do voiceovers... Yeah, I, that I, I used to do that, yes. <laughs> or that would have been it then. <laughs> wow. The so, coat of many uh, colours, it's like crazy, you know, wearing, coming in and... Best dressed voiceover in town. No. Not anymore. <laughs> no, me either. But uh, yeah, so that was how we first met. But I'm assuming there's a story that goes far beyond 19 or 1990. So what is your background? Wow. Well, um, I have a, I had an Australian father and an English mother. I was born in England, raised in Canada, but came to Australia when I was 16 after my mother passed away. My father, who hadn't been here since after the Second World War. Uh, you know, re returned to Australia, and I came along. And uh, within three or four months of me arriving, I, I was working at Two uh, CH as an office boy, a, a schedules clerk, whatever you want to call it. And that uh, that led me into radio, um, which was just crazy. I just, you know, it had never occurred to me to do that, except you know, I was just asking at uh, CES one day, "What do you want to do?" And he, and I said, "I don't know, read out a few." And, and he read out a few, and he read out radio. And I said, "Yeah, radio." Notes. Yeah. Sure, sure. And, you know, as luck would have it, I uh, I scored an interview at 2GB. Didn't get that job, but uh, got the next one at 2CH. That's oh. back in 1974. So going way back. And, and in 1975, I did my first on-air shift at 2JJ, uh, July 1st, Canada Day, actually, as it turned out. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I've been a radio guy from, you know, going way back. Wow, that's uh, that's interesting because I came here when I was 16 from England. From England. And uh, and got my first radio job, bit after you, though, but um, in 1978. Whereabouts? Uh, 3SH in Swan Hill. Beautiful. 
Yeah. So I went bush too. I did my bush time too. Um, totally different kettle of fish, isn't it? It is. I don't think anyone outside of Australia, and probably most of the people that are listening to this, wouldn't have a clue what we're talking about. But in Australia, um, your apprenticeship, if you want to be on air, is in the country, in some of these very, very small towns. And if you wanted to get a better position, a better shift or something like that, you, 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 had, to, you had to move radio stations because there's no way that morning announcer that had been there for 40 years was going to actually resign anytime soon. Yep. So you, you had to look for jobs elsewhere. And uh, that's what uh, takes you around the country. I suppose it's really no different to a place like the U.S. No. Hmm. So your background is on-air radio. Well, it was many different things, actually, before. Um, you know, with this outrageous accent I had, I think my, my uh, uh, career opportunities on-air were pretty, li- pretty limited in terms of um, Cap City Radio. But, uh, uh, but I did enjoy that. Uh, moved into production, copywriting, sales and marketing and the like so I've touched on many different areas but the love of course is the you know is the, is is being on air and playing records and having fun yeah because you were based in australia with a canadian accent how difficult was it to uh, establish a voiceover career? Well, it was unique back then. Um, there was a need for, occasionally, for North American voices. Um, you know, this was pre-internet, of course, so, um, and it was very hard to actually get an American, you know, online to record or something like that. It was just technically difficult to do. So, I was uh, very fortunate to pick up the odd, you know, North American thing. And I can remember actually going out and coming back to the agency and uh, Ron Scott was there and he I said yeah but I, I told him I was from Toronto and he goes oh Jesus don't tell him you're from Toronto you'll never get a job <laughs> had to be from America yeah. and uh, anyway so you know that's the way it worked out and uh, managed to fit the bill for uh, a number of years as the uh, as a you know token ethnic yeah. um, which was great um, but there were opportunities elsewhere too, but not as many, mostly Australia. Because you're internationally known now as the voice of Mythbusters. The backstory of Mythbusters is quite interesting because I remember that being pitched in Australia as an Australian TV production and no network would touch it. Interesting, isn't it? And it was taken to America where it finally actually got some traction. But uh, but certainly uh, Discovery saw some uh, potential in it and invested in you know a three-episode three, uh, pilot series and off it went from there. I mean, it was perfect for Discovery, of course, uh, and uh, you know, and I think I think it was better. It, it's ended up at Discovery than you know. A lot of people who watched the show wouldn't realise that the post production or majority of it is done in Sydney. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like it's more of an international show than an Australian show, but there's a massive Australian, uh, you know, part of it. Of course, you know, the concept is Australian. Post production is done here. Uh, the executive producer used to be here. Now he's in the uh, UK. Are writers all over the world, <laughs> so it's it's it really is an international production. But as as Adam Savage has said, the you know the Australian element of that, because a lot of the crew that work on the show over in San Francisco uh, are Australian. Um, that Australian sense of humor is certainly permeated through their through their work, uh, and I think it's given the the show you know quite a unique edge in the U.S. market, if you like. Yeah, you can certainly pick the elements of Australia in there, even to some of the, the hats and uh, the, the poor impersonations of Australians. <laughs> uh, <laughs> poor impersonations, period, I think. <laughs> yes, exactly. So how did you get that job? Because, you know, to anyone listening who's in the voice industry, you'd be going, oh, that's a 
plum job. Well, yeah, I mean, definitely. And I'm very fortunate to be a part of it, of course. But um, I had actually started years ago, going back to the 80s, actually trying to actually get uh, get a get a, uh, a narration voice job from Beyond Productions. They were one of the few people in Sydney, few organizations in Sydney doing doing documentaries and the like. Um and I knew if anybody needed something for overseas, it might have been them. Well, of course, I tried a number of times and failed dismally. Uh, but eventually, I scored a series there called, I think it was The American Spirit, back in the 80s, which was great. I don't know, it was like seven, 13 episodes or something like that. Anyway, uh, and, and after that, I started actually doing more um, more uh, narration work for Beyond. And uh, Peter Reese, the producer, the executive producer, the original executive producer of, of Mythbusters, uh, came up to me one day and said, look, you want to have a crack at this, but but you can't do it like the way you've been doing stuff. You're going to have to do something a bit different. I said, well, give it a crack, see what we can work out. And we worked something out and uh, ended up in Discovery and off they went. Yeah, off we went from there. But uh, So I was just joining on the spot firstly, but, uh, you know, it's like... Uh, Due to a lot of work being done for Beyond before that, so they they knew I could actually, I guess, tackle the work if nothing else. You know, were you ever concerned that you would just be known as the voice of MythBusters? I know what you're alluding to, Andrew, and uh, yeah, certainly you stop. I mean, as you know, voice artists are really they maintain their anonymity for a reason. Um, they 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 need to be anonymous. They need to actually take on the persona of the the the, the clients and the work that they're doing to to a large extent. Uh, unless, of course, there are personalities involved and such, which is a different kettle of fish. But generally, voiceovers are meant to be sort of anonymous. But when you step into something like this, which is credited uh, and and has enjoyed such great success, yes, you start to actually get associated with the program in a in a particular style, um, and you get known for that particular style. But that doesn't mean that you can't do other things as well. But you are one of the the main characters of that show. There's no doubting that. I mean. It's synonymous with Mythbusters. In this business, in the voiceover business, how many voiceover jobs, and there'd be a few, I'm not saying there aren't, but how many would last over 12 years? So I'm, I'm grateful for that, and it's nice to actually make a mark, and, but to be part of such a great show that's, uh, that's changed people's lives, it's informed and entertained and such for many years. So, uh, you know, I'm really pleased uh, to, 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 to be a part of that, yeah. Yeah. So I can't complain too much, Andrew. Good. I wouldn't. Okay, Robert, three things that have changed your life. I gave this a bit of thought, and it's quite interesting. I didn't know it at the time, but uh, I'd have to say my father, in terms of actually introducing me to radio, believe it or not, but not in any other way except as a listener. Uh, I recall as a five-year-old in England, actually, he built me a little crystal radio, and he sort of screwed it into the wall beside the bed, and I had a pair of Bakelite headphones. And I used to tune to the biggest AM station signal I could find, which happened to be Radio Caroline or something like that. This is going way back uh, to the early days of pirate radio. Uh, and, and that was just fascinating. I was fascinated with that. And I was grateful for that. And as I grew up, my father kept on getting me bigger radios, better radios or whatever, and uh, ended up with this lovely tube radio in uh, in Canada. And I'd listen into Chicago radio stations, you know, and I'd send off information and get DX cards back from them and such. So it was all good fun. Um, so, you know, that, that I think uh, is, is certainly part of my love for audio, radio, the audio media, if you like. Um, uh, and I enjoy, uh, I, I still enjoy radio, of course, even today, as a listener, as a sometimes contributor, <laughs> yeah. but mostly as a listener. You know, secondly, I think AWA Radio Network. Um, it was the biggest radio network back in the 70s, had seven or eight stations, you know, including 2CH. It had, you know, Cairns, Townsville, Warwick, Queensland, Grafton, Goulburn, you know, et cetera. 
Bendigo Launceston. So uh, as a network and joining the AWA radio network at an early age, it gave me an opportunity to actually expand into radio and learn more about radio, which uh, which I did at stations like 2AY, 3BO, uh, 7LA. <laughs> um, that was all part of uh, part of uh, you know uh, growing up in radio, and uh, you know so the and the and, and the people at the top of the the network itself, they really didn't have to do this, but they saw I guess someone who's keen, someone had a strange accent, whatever, so they made you know they made available opportunities which I grabbed, um, so I worked for them for six seven years, uh, and I, so I'm, I'm grateful for that. And then a little later on, uh, uh, when I was part of the radio marketing bureau. Uh, well, actually, even before that, I came across work by Street Remley. Uh, he was an American voice working out of Adelaide, but he wasn't just a voice artist. He had a studio, and he'd prepare and write uh, uh, radio campaigns for uh, national advertisers. Some fantastic stuff, too. And I had the pleasure of actually working sort of aside beside him in a way um, as the convener of the Agency Writers Workshop uh, when I was at the Radio Marketing Bureau. And Street Remley and a lot of other well-respected producers as well as agency writers who used to come along and pass on what they knew about writing for radio to young writers and agencies. Did a lot to promote radio as a creative outlet. And it also taught them, you know, about uh, how to develop ideas, creative ideas that are used in commercials and such. And Street was there and he was just, and, and there were others, of course, up right up there too, but Street in particular was just, this is the guy who would take, he'd take no crap from anybody and he'd call a spade a spade. He was very honest, but he was also very generous too. And he, he did a lot to encourage a lot of good creative over the following, you know, 10, 20 years. I could never kind of work out why he was in Adelaide. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> very true. Yeah, because it is a small city and I would have thought a bigger city would have been better suited, but uh, it seemed to suit him. I don't think he's quite as active today, but uh, but he's still with us. Fantastic. In a world. In a world where only the best voice will do. Realtimecasting.com But it's interesting because I, I've got a distinct feeling we're about the same age. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think we're pretty close. 39, 40? Yep, that's it. Spot on. Well done. Well picked. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you could tell Bakelite, you know. <laughs> Bakelite, yes, yeah, so of course. That could have been knows. a bit of a giveaway, but um, <laughs> but sprung it, there, didn't I? Yeah, from from crystal sets to um, doing this via Skype, things have changed quite dramatically in our world. Have they ever? Which bits do you think have been good, and which bits do you think have been very bad? Ooh, well, you know, I I, I I'm not. You know, there's not one to complain generally. You've just got to live in the environment that you're in, I guess. Uh, you know, in terms of voiceovers, I think it's given clients a lot more opportunities to to, to find and locate in a very sort of organized way a particular voice. And it's given voices uh, a chance to market themselves a lot broader. But, you know, I, I think really um, with this larger playing field for voice artists, I guess they pick artists for because of a one particular style that they have now Andrew you and I grew up in Australia here and uh, you know if you're you, if you were a voiceover and I'm gonna say myself but others a voiceover with a with a with an agent you were quite versatile or versatile you, yeah you did soft sells you did the retails you did everything in between characters as well you're very versatile uh, but because of the so many voices now I think versatility may be of some value but uh, I think, you know, if you've got a particular style of that disgruntled, you know, senior or that young skateboarder, I mean, that's your sound, whatever the sound is, it gives you an opportunity to position yourself a lot better, a lot more specifically. So you can specialize a bit more given a, you know, a larger playing field. The downside of that, some of the aggregators, 
um, have, uh, you know, it's a race to the bottom in many ways um, in terms of rates and things like that. And I think that uh, that does nobody any good. Yes, people are hungry and they need to feed and they need to buy food and things like that. But, you know, you can only drop your pants to your ankles, you know. Yeah, well, some people think you can go further, but <laughs> it's, it's in, <laughs> you but, said that, Andrew. Yeah, but it's interesting though because you can almost see that there's been this like huge explosion. But now people are getting used to using good voices. They want the best. Yeah, absolutely. You can almost see it imploding, going back to a kernel of professional talent. I, I agree with that. I think there's always, you know, there's always the eighty twenty rule, and you can t- apply the eighty twenty rule to, um, uh, you know, to uh, any sort of market, and. Uh, uh, certainly, um, there are uh, a core group of very talented people that uh, can get voice work because agencies and other producers and ag- uh, studios and such, uh, because they know they're going to deliver. There's there's false economy in getting someone in that uh, you know might be a bit rough around the edges or whatever that you have to work longer with. Um, they know what they're going to get. You know, you get uh, someone in, they hears a script, they read it once and twice maybe, and they figures and it's done. And they're off and they're out, especially when studios are three, four hundred dollars an hour. You know, yeah. this is at that top level. I'm talking about the sort of like the commercial level uh, people that uh, are, uh, you know, casting far and wide for a voice that'll do something for a hundred dollars or something like that. Well, you know, that's fine. But uh, there'll always be somebody that does that. But, you know, that's what the market's about. The idea is to position yourself and to get yourself into a little higher level than that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, look, it's, it's, it's hard for me. I, I don't want to be judgmental on anybody, but, uh, but I do see offers for voices and uh, for voice work at a pretty low rate. And I figure that's not, that's not right. Um, you know, agencies, well, I don't know, are they dropping their pants? Maybe, <laughs> but um, I yeah. think everybody's got to be a little bit flexible. You know, I mean, if if your agent gets a call and they say, "Look, it's thirty TV spots," then they're going to say, "Okay, well, we can you know cut you a deal here." Of course, they're going to cut a deal. Yeah, absolutely, and it's always been the case too. Yeah. But uh, yeah, um, you're right. You, you've got to be sensible about it. But look, like I say, it's hard. It's 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 hard, and I don't want to criticize anybody that's trying to make a living out of voice work. It's uh, it's a hard slog. Um, and you could be could be lucky, and uh, uh, you know, but it's something you really do have to work with for a long time before you get to pop in and you know do your bit. Unless, of course, you've got something to offer nobody else has. I don't know. Well, because voices are unique, then everybody has something to offer that's different to anybody else. And that's always been one of the problems where people start to imitate. I mean, when Don LaFontaine passed away, everyone thought, oh, well, I can do a great Don LaFontaine impersonation. I'll get all of his work. And it's like, well, we don't want an impersonator. In the meantime, the cultural market's moved on too. Um, uh, the, the, the Don LaFontaine voice, uh, the big trailer voice, isn't used quite as much these days in trailers. Um, uh, for whatever reasons, you know, it's the voice of the man, and uh, sometimes the man's not cool. Sometimes you got to have something else going on. What I'm saying is that you know, the whatever's in vogue has moved on a bit, um, and trailer work is fantastic. But uh, you know, I don't think is anywhere near as much as used to go on. You know, used to happen. Yeah, what I can gather. Well, I was talking to Nick Tate, who was one of the five guys in a limo. Five men in a limo. Yeah, classic. That's a, a great. Hung like a... (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But he was one of the five, and he said probably there were 15. Yeah. Uh, But the top five were, you know, taking the lion's share of the cash. That's right. And they were making a lot of money. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, good on them. And and so it shall be. So it should be, too. Um, Voice work is uh, very much, uh, you know, it's no different to acting, just doesn't have the pictures. 
Yeah. Um, there's a lot more going on in audio than I think people sometimes give it credit. And it's interesting because I was flicking around because there was a, at a lunch the other week and someone mentioned Fatal Attraction. I played the, the trailer for the movie, which is a Don um, trailer. And then you listen to it and think, you know what? I can, I can hear the value in that. That's a cracker trailer. <laughs> it's very good. Yeah, yeah. It's very good. Yeah. Where do you see the voice industry going now we have all this new technology? More of us are sitting at home doing work. Well, I think it's going to continue like that for a bit. The market will continue to develop. New players will come in. Old players will drop out. This is perhaps in terms of aggregators and such. There is no doubt an increasing demand for media content, you know, given the... Uh, spate of stations and specialized stations is going to, you know, people call it fragmentation it's segmentation, whatever you want to call it but there's going to be a never-ending demand for content but it's got to be affordable and uh, I think that is going to impact so there's going to be just as much work but I, st- I, I believe there'll still be downward pressure on, on prices to some degree uh, except for, you know uh, that uh, that core, you know national, international commercial stuff, perhaps. So, uh, you know, I still think there's lots of opportunities. I think that if you're a good seasoned voiceover guy like yourself, Andrew, uh, that uh, can be given a script and deliver on cue like that, you'll always be in demand. Those people will always be in demand because they're not time wasters. Uh, and and that, comes with, that, comes with, um, that comes with experience. It's not something you can actually have straight from the beginning unless you're, you know, like a Superman. But I, I, I don't think it's as bleak uh, I think perhaps if you're, you're if you're after the, uh, the the top end stuff, I think there's going to always be pressure on that. But I believe that uh, talented voiceovers will um, uh, will will rely less and less on direct work um, uh, to commercial studios like rolling into commercials. More and more stuff will be done remotely. Yeah, yeah. So while that's not necessarily well, I mean it's a good thing because it expands everybody's market. Yeah, well, I saw some stats only recently, and uh, they indicated that in North America. Uh, the entertainment industry would double, over double, in the next three to five years. That doesn't surprise me at all. And, and when you, you consider know, it, so based on that, if you say that you know voiceover is, I think the current stat is one point two two percent of the whole entertainment industry in America. Is that right? Is yeah. that what it is? Yeah. Oh, wow. um, so all of a sudden, that one point two two percent becomes, you know. Two point four four percent in real terms. Yeah, so so it's not all doom and gloom, but uh, I, I think you know um, as long as the as long as uh, new players come into the market with a better deal for talent uh, and a better way to you know to work, uh, then uh, you know yes, there's uh, opportunities for voice artists. But you know again, can have some talent to begin with. Yeah. Just because, you know, your uncle told you at Christmas that uh, you had a great voice for radio doesn't mean, you know, or whatever is not yeah. quite enough. You've know, you got to put in the hard slog, got to no, do the work. That's always the line, is it? My nephew's got a great voice. He should be doing voiceovers. It's like, well, the guy down the road's got very long fingers. Maybe he should be a concert pianist. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do remember actually being in England in 72 and my cousin got a cassette recorder. So we all recorded something on this cassette, you know, and I went as low as I could at like 14, 15 or something. My uncle Ron, who had a really deep voice, did it too. And on playback, my voice was deeper. And I thought, hey, I got a career here. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, you know, anyway, that was just as an aside. How do you find working from home? Uh, You know, to tell you the truth, I, I much prefer to work in a commercial studio generally. I mean, I've done it for 35, 40 years or whatever it is, 30, 30 odd years. You know, working at home, uh, it's it's good if you've got your gear sorted and such, you know, but you're always got an eye on levels and, you know, 
there's distractions while in a studio you can focus solely on the read uh, and you have some great guys there that say listen can I get a little more in the cans please they'll do it you don't have to worry about any of the technical things or anything like that you can just focus on the job at hand so that's a real benefit I think to working in a, in a studio uh, like a commercial studio to working at home but at the same time working at home is good too because you know it's you can do it at your convenience. Sadly, though, um, a lot of the work I do from home is for uh, overseas, which means I'm either working at 12 midnight or 5.30 a.m. or something like that. That's the downside, but uh, the upside is, yeah, you know, you're getting the work that you wouldn't normally get. So Yeah. So the majority of your work is overseas? I would say so now, yes. Um, uh, I certainly still roll into studios uh, in Australia, of course, as you as you would know. Uh, it's mostly for America from home. This is not Mythbusters. We're talking about other clients in yeah. America. Yeah, Mythbusters is always done beyond studios in our tournament. Yeah. I occasionally suggest I could do pickups from home, but uh, the audio operator there, the audio manager there is a, no, you got to come in. <laughs> and that's good. I'm pleased. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So do you have guys overseas directing you when you're doing um, voiceovers from home? Uh, absolutely. I, I do a Skype connection. Um, uh, that means they can hear me through the mic. I can hear them through my headphones. Uh, I'm only recording my end of the conversation, of course, here. And then I send it off there. I, I don't have ISDN, actually, um, or any of those. And that's something I'm looking at. But, uh, but I don't at the moment. You know, in fact, if the job's big enough, I've actually gone into a studio and said, listen, we'll use your commercial studio and said, uh, I need to ISDN to here. And, yeah. uh, uh, and, 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 you know, paid for it myself. So, no. But if you're turning over stuff like, uh, you know, like uh, doing promos for ESPN and things like that, you know, they, they, you know, you know what it's like in stations, man. They got to churn through it quick and. The voice for the voices. This is the VO Radio Show. Are you signing up for another series of Mythbusters? Well, um, uh, I'm recording another series at the moment. That's pretty much all I can say. Um, you know, it's it's great. Uh, they're, they're still going. Um, and uh, it's nice. It's great to be a part of it. But uh, um, it's now coming into 12, 13 years, I guess. Yeah, that's good. 13 years. So uh, wonderful. So that's pretty much all I can say, you know? Yep. So what sort of voiceovers do you love doing? I do. Uh, I, I do. I don't know. I mean, uh, uh Anything I can do competently, Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love them. Uh, I like stuff, uh, little character stuff. Uh, I can do a few character stuff, which is, which is good fun. I also, uh, I do like conversational commercials. Yeah. Just speaking, you know, normally, I guess. Yeah. Um, what about animation? Have you ever considered yeah, doing? Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd love to do animation. Um, and I was just saying the other day to a mate that, uh, you know, maybe I should go to Japan. He said, I'll never let you in, firstly. But, uh, you know, it'd be nice to do some animation work there. I, I almost did here in Australia, but the production was lost to Vancouver. So um, I didn't quite get that. But, yeah, no, that that is an area that uh, I think is nice. It's like hard work, though. There's a lot of work involved. And, uh, and voices that are used in animation, you know, um, are, are generally expected to do at least two or three different voices for the show or for a number of shows, whatever. So it's quite uh, it's quite challenging, you know, in a, in a talent sense. Yeah. It was interesting talking with Nick Tate because Nick Tate's father, John, um, was one of the voices on the Thunderbirds. Right, is in that fact, right? In fact, more than one. He did quite a, quite a few voices well, on the Thunderbirds. Well, there you go, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? Yeah. F-A-B. F-A-B, Scott. <laughs> yeah. But Thunderbirds those, are go. Yeah, but there, was, uh, there were a lot of Australians involved in th that series as well. 
Uh-huh. And there was another one involved. Um, Daniel Spencer's father was involved in Fireball XL5. Yeah, that's right. I, th- I yeah. think he sung the closing lyric, you know? Yep. About skipping across the universe or something like that. That was fantastic. For those who don't know, that's Russell Crowe's father-in-law. Yeah, but there was uh, Barry Humphreys who... Um, you know, who's Dame Edna, he was also involved in Fireball XL5. Is that right? So how do you feel, like, as, a, as someone living in Australia, Australian father, English mother, Canadian accent. <laughs> North American accent. North American accent, not Canadian. So what do you class your accent? About there on the prairie, I don't know what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah, sorry, Andrew, there was a question there? Oh, no, I was just going to say, what do you class your accent? Uh, I call it North American. Um... It's not uh, it's not regional in any particular sense. Um, long form stuff, you might be able to pick up a Canadianism or so, or even an Australianism, frankly. Um, but uh, generally, I'd say it's uh, you know North American. Um, uh, it's not very you know if if somebody said they wanted somebody from Boston, then you know I'd say get somebody else, please. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was initially I was initially positioned by uh, Ron Scott as uh, the L.A. West Coast sound for one reason or another. Um, but uh, but generally, generic North American. What do the Americans hear when they hear your voice? I have no idea, man. <laughs> you know, uh, sometimes they can say, "Well, he's not from around here." Uh, but uh, you know, the thing is, there are some people that actually complain about some of the pronunciations um, in uh, you know in the show. Um, but you know, the, the bottom line is that. The, the meaning is there. They still understand it. It's not yeah. like I'm calling, I'm not like I'm speaking a different language. But I can't it, please everyone. It's the same with Australian accents. You know, Mad Max was dubbed with uh, the first film yeah. with uh, American actors. Uh, but now Australian accent is heard everywhere through America. That's true. Doesn't make it any more desirable, but, uh, you know, it'll get you a free drink. Yeah. But it's actually funny, though, because on television, you can hear an Australian and no one would complain about it. In fact, Australian characters in, in uh, various TV shows in America. Yeah, I think it's uh, that Australian, uh, uh, there's a certain uh, larrikinism, I guess, or, uh, you know, the feeling or position, I guess, that comes with a, uh, an Australian voice in an American show or movie or whatever. Uh, and that's a good thing. And, uh, you know, there certainly is an Aussie invasion in, in America, has yeah. been for a number of years, which yeah, is yeah. just great and wonderful. I love it. It's fantastic. Yeah. Do you see Not it? something I can do, though. Not really. The only, the only line I like, made, <laughs> like saying is, I'm as dry as a dead dingo's donga. <laughs> and uh, that, uh, yeah, uh, I know you ever do that once. <laughs> so no I'm absolutely no good at it however I actually did know this uh, Canadian that spent five years on a sheep station outside Darwin and he was speaking like an hawker like you wouldn't believe so it really has something to do with environment I think it's got a lot to do with environment yeah in a world in a world where only the best voice will do realtimecasting.com how do you see your career playing out over the next five, ten years. Oh, gee, Andrew, who knows? Uh, you know, it's such a hard thing to plan for, if you like, in this in this game. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, I, I, would, uh, I would hope that, uh, you know, I'd still be able to do some long-form stuff uh, in the future um, beyond, uh, you know, what I'm doing at the moment. That's basically it. And, and as you know, you know, you can go out and try to find opportunities, but uh, uh, yeah, you, you have to, you, you do have to, to keep your eyes out for those opportunities and keep plugging away. 
but uh, so no idea. Uh, you know, having said that, um, you know, animation work is something that I would uh, like to delve into a bit more, do a bit more research on, and find out what's going on. Uh, but pretty much that's it. You know, the industry, as you know, moves on, and uh, they're younger, um, hungrier, more talented people about, and uh, uh, the sounds. Uh, you know, the, the, literally the sounds of commercials and stuff and uh, on, on radio and TV everywhere, not just here in Australia, uh, changes over time. Um, and uh, ever it was, ever it shall be. But, you know, when you think back of the 30-odd, 40-odd years that I've been involved in this, uh, you know, I really, I thank my lucky stars. It's been wonderful to be a part of it. I'm not saying it's over yet, but, you know, I'm grateful for what I've had. Yeah, but, uh, but I see some major changes happening with the industry. Uh -huh. um, you can almost see that a lot of production will be done from home. There's also talk that a lot of uh, agents, representative agents, will um, close their expensive offices and you know start working more as a you know from from a home a home office. Yeah, that's that makes sense. Really thinking about that. When you consider, you know, they, they've got a studio there with a half a dozen mics, maybe a couple of booths, and, a, a, and an audio operator as well as part of an agent's work. Yep. Um, you know, if you're getting union prices, I guess maybe it might be worth it. But uh, uh, generally, yeah, you're right. There, yeah. there are ways to save money there, I'd say. Some it's crazy, though, isn't it? It's yeah. just a funny thing going to going to your agents to, to do a demo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, of course, the difference is here in Australia there are audition rates because, uh, you know, it may get abused, this doing auditions for free in America. Uh, uh, I've certainly seen some cases where I thought they were just actually fishing around to see what sounded better creatively rather than actually saying we want this voice or that voice. Yeah. Um, it was ba basically to help them pitch to the client more so than to actually engage particular uh, talent. Um, uh, well, here, of course, you know, uh, having to pay for it, you've got to give it some thought and you've got to give it your best guess, you know. Uh, the, that, that's the producer. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's a good thing. So, yeah. Well, it's interesting because there's two tiers to that and there's discussions at the moment where we have in Australia, we call it the submission fee. Yes. So you turn up at a studio and you read for the client and uh, you read for an hour if necessary until they're happy with your demo. Yep. Um, or there's the other side of things, which is the home studio. And no one's actually thought about how they're going to handle that because you're not going to be able to charge, you know, a submission fee if you're doing it from home because no one's going to pay for that. Um, but the problem well, is... Okay. We also, so you're saying the, the pressure's on to actually do away with the system we have at the moment? For no, it. I think keep it. But I also think there should be two tiers. If, you, if you're a home studio talent and you're happy to audition from home, you still should get paid for it. Mm -hmm. uh, but it should be a, a smaller fee. Okay. It does two things. One, it, it actually, you know, gives you an income for turning on your gear and reading something. Two, it also stops the that sort of like tsunami of uh, auditions coming in via the internet yeah. when you've got a thousand people auditioning for it because they do it for free. Yeah. Because, you know, as you know, there's when people audition for free, they actually perceive they're in the industry even though they've never actually booked a job. Yeah. But the thing is, though, the, the difference in America, though, is that, yes, you're auditioning for jobs, but if they're, if they're union jobs, for example, the remuneration, if you're selected, is much greater. Yeah. So, you know, what you, what you lose on the front end, you gain on the back end, so to speak, you know? Uh, as long as that continues, if you like, you know, that's, that's fine. But uh, you're right, the, you know, um, some of these um, pay-to-play places, if you like, going back a few years, you know, by the time I actually got the email and got in the studio and 
gear and, and kicked over the gear and got it all organized. I noticed 200 people had already auditioned for the job. Yeah. And, you know, no client in the right mind is going to go through 200 tapes no. or two, 200 auditions. This is not going to happen. Uh, so, you know, yeah. And it's, it's sort of like it's when I gave it up. Yeah. And of course, I think, you know, the Media Entertainment and Arts Alliance, too, are, are paying a little more attention to this sort of thing. And they're trying to actually, you know, anticipate what the, you know, the market's going to be like in the future. And, you know, I, I think uh, there's a long-term strategy there with them, which is great. That, that uh, you know, if you're a member of the union, um, you, you know, you, there's somebody looking out for you. Yeah. Whatever, to, to, to however, however best they can, given the environment. Yeah, and I think also it's it's also up to the actor, instead of sitting there waiting for the union to do something, uh, you've also got to put pressure on the union to do things that you believe, or at least table what you feel is the, is the answer. And um, Yeah, absolutely uh, right, yes. You, you, you've, you, yeah, you, you have to have, they, they can only do so much. It's got to be industry-led to a large extent. And, and, you know, that's where agents come in to, to, to a great extent. Um, and, uh, and I think that's good. And that, that then plays out towards the, you know, to the, to the union as well. And, you know, when, when the, the, the brown stuff hits, hits the uh, air extractor, uh, you know, the, for, for members anyway, the, the, you know, the, the union's pretty good mob to have on side. Yeah. I'm a union member, have been for many a year and, uh, I, I, you know, I'll continue to be. Yeah. But you've got to be careful though. If they, if they wait for the brown stuff to hit the air extractor, um, they've probably left it just a bit too late. Oh, true. I mean, look, they're not perfect and it's only a small segment of, of their business. You're right. Uh, yeah, I, I have no delusions about that, but I still believe it's important that all voice artists should, should endeavor wherever possible to support their industry through the union. Now that's a fine note to wind this up. Um, so we all move forward as one <laughs> to conquer the world. <laughs> what about the workers? Yeah, exactly. What about the workers, mate? Anyway, yeah. Andrew, thank you for this, mate. It's Robert, been, it's been, been an absolute pleasure. Chat. And uh, it's great to have you with us. And uh, all the best. See you in the street. Absolutely. See you in the street or drink somewhere. Oh, now you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> all the best, Andrew. Take care. The voice for the voices. This is the VO Radio Show. All right, that's Robert Lee. That was our special guest this week. And now you know the man behind the voice of Mythbusters. Mm. Very talented guy, isn't he? He's a great guy too. Yeah, really he nice is a guy. nice guy. Yeah. yeah, very much so. Next week, we've got another really nice guy, a guy mm. called Harlan Hogan. Uh, people around the world will know him for his other business called VoiceOver Essentials mm. with his flagship piece of kit, mm. the Porter Booth and Porter Booth Pro. Yeah, I can't think of many voiceover artists I know that don't have one of those. It's true. He's sold a lot yeah. of them, and mm -hmm. uh, we'll talk about that next week. But uh, he's also a really, really well-accomplished actor and voice actor. Mm. So uh, Harlan Hogan is our guest next week on the VO Radio Show. We'll see you next week for another packed episode of the VO Radio Show. I'll be here. I'll be here too. The VO Radio Show is produced in the studios of Voodoo Sound. To polish your next audio production, check us out at voodoo-sound.com. Find professional voices simply all in one place. Realtimecasting.com, including me.